Is James Harden the best one-on-one player ever? I think he's the most innovative. Like, I think he's made, like, the, the step back is like a phenom, like the skyhook. I mean, even the, the double step back joint that they don't call on him now because he's patented to move. They don't make so much money off that. Kay is incredible. He was my coach on the court, and I think he's been my, my coach in life when I needed a coach the most. He's really molded, you know, me in combination with the foundations I got for my family for who I am as a, as a man in my life. I think basketball is probably the, the hottest footprint in the world, along with soccer right now. Revenue-wise, the league is at one of the best places it's ever been. The growth opportunity for the league is ridiculous. And it's the hottest ticket there is right now in sports. Welcome to the Dirk Nowitzki, Dirk Nowitzki, Dirk Nowitzki episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 41, currently in Oregon, just getting off the road from a back-to-back uh, off day before we play the Cavs. Uh, tomorrow, uh, we have a special guest who will be on with us in one moment, but first, I want to introduce Jordan Schultz to the Pull Up Pod, as always. Jordan, welcome to the Pull Up Pod. Thank you for having me today, CJ. It means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> always a pleasure to have you on the Pull Up Pod, and we have special guests today. Jay Williams, uh, one of one of my uh, favorites out there. Um, Jay, I appreciate you coming on the pull up pod. Appreciate being on the pod, CJ. I thought you were going to hit me with the Lehigh joke right off the bat, but I'm, I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you kept it classy. I respect that, brother. I can't. I can't give the Lehigh jokes out to the to the Duke legends. Only only the Duke role players. When <laughs> 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 your jerseys in the rafters, fair. I can't really make. I can't make many jokes about uh, about you. Uh, because of the, the career you had and how good you were. <laughs> well, man, uh, I've always been a big fan of yours, and it, I feel like every time, every time I see you now, I'm like, "Yo, this dude is about to be the next as far as you know media if he decides this is what he wants to do." So, congrats on that, man. No, I appreciate it, man. I've been watching you from afar, and then getting to meet you up close, and just kind of seeing how you've been able to, you know, really, really take off in the media world. And your suits are always impressive, always, always looking sharp, man. So. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I commended you on, on how you dress. I appreciate it. I try to, you know what, man? It's just, I just try to stand out at ESPN, you know? There's not too many former players around, so you try to set that bar high. And that's true. That's true. And we, we briefly touched on your, your Duke career, the legendary career it was, winning the national championship, freshman All-American. I could go on, you know, record for three-pointers attempted, uh, most assists. You did a lot of great things in that Duke jersey. Now, looking back, at Duke. They have a lot of great freshmen. Everyone's talking about them. Everyone's talking about Zion. They have a dunk count. Everyone's talking about R.J. Baird. The sleeper is Cam Reddish. Um, how has Duke changed since you've left in terms of, you know, Coach K kind of being against one and done players to now being like the spearhead of recruiting and, and, and kind of landing all the one and done players up to this point? You know, man, I, I think uh, I just became a parent recently. And I, I think the experience has kind of changed me because there are things that I thought I would never do that I see myself doing now, you know, like the patience that I had to have for a child. And one of the things I, I give Coach K a lot of credit is that, yes, at first it, he didn't like it, right? I think that was pretty obvious. I, I, I came there in 1999, and the year I came into school was the year that Elton Brand, Corey Maggette, William Avery, uh, all these guys were there, and they, they dipped early. Uh, they all left their sophomores to the pros, and I don't think K was ready for that. So, you know, adjusting from that point on, I think once he realized that he needed to adjust and adapt, which he's always done coaching-wise, but he needed to do it maybe marketing-wise off the court, I think he just soared, man. And I, meeting a lot of people who are older, they get stuck in their ways. And that's, the one that, that's one of the parts of his brilliance is that he continues to evolve as the culture evolves. And he's in tune with it which a lot of people just aren't. Yeah, I agree. It's very rare that you see someone, you know, kind of change their opinion or change their mindset on something like that, you know, as they get older. You know, like you said before, you're a parent now, you're kind of changing, you know, probably the, the ways you, you're raising your kid, probably doing things you never thought you'd do. Uh, I kind of compare it to my grandma. You know, they, they tell her that she needs to tighten up her diet and that she shouldn't eat certain foods. And she's been eating those foods and doing certain things for 70 plus years. So it's hard for her to kind of change that. But from a health standpoint, I try to tell her, like, grandma, we got to drink fruit smoothies. All right. We got to stop <laughs> eating fried chicken and drinking pop. But, you know, there's some things that they just won't change. And there's other times where they'll <laughs> they'll change certain things. Now, I, I'm with you, and, and that's how he is, right? So I, I think he's adapted nicely with it. Uh, and he's kind of the same. Like, he's a salt of the earth, very competitive, 
very hungry type of person where it's a relentless pursuit every day of achieving that greatness standard of excellence that he has all the time. But, you know, it, it, I think it's now about the business that is drastically different. You know, like when I played there, TJ and Jordan, like we, you know, we practiced out of this gym called Car Gym. It was like a YMCA gym next door to Cameron. Like literally we would have like three, four teams that we'd be coming through the gym during practice and it, no AC. It was, there was a track above where we had to literally go run and do sprints. We did something wrong in practice and it was like closed doors. And now you see these kids that have like this $10 million facility, you know, and, and they're, the, the training area is equivalent to an NBA arena. I mean, that's, that's how it is. And even look from the media perspective, I mean, these kids, like I felt like I had somewhat of a brand when I was coming out of college. Cause I got two time national player of the year, but I look at now with social media and the way that these, you know, kids get built up throughout the media so early in the game, because from a business perspective, you need to attach the game to entities. So people want to follow it and watch it. Uh, you have dudes that have like colossal brands already. Like Zion is a major, major brand. Like we're going to be talking about Zion this year, probably as much as we're going to be talking about LeBron. So I, I think that's where the game is drastically different in particular for Duke. Cause now they, they build things out with their social media platform, giving you insight and letting you follow that every single day. So I think the business there is drastically different than when it was back when I played in 2002. I think the social media following is is huge. You know, looking at the amount of followers Zion has and how we knew who Zion was when he was in high school. You know, obviously, you know, as the years have gone on, we've known about LeBron, we've known about Melo, we've known we've known about certain players, you know, in high school. But we were able to see some of Zion's dunks when he was in South Carolina. I knew who he was when he was a junior in high school before he even chose Duke. And to just see how his game has evolved, how YouTube, how House of Highlights, how all those all those major social media networks have kind of pushed these guys, you know, to the forefront to now where they're literally on ESPN every day. They were playing preseason games and it was kind of a dead period for ESPN. So, so exactly. <laughs> they were playing nationally televised games in preseason before they even were able to, you know, suit up, you know, for a regular season game. And that just kind of shows you how there are millions of followers, uh, now as a 19, 18 year old, which only imagine how many followers they'll have when they're in the league. And so you play against these dudes every single day. So, like, I mean, what do you think? Do you think he can average, like, a good, like, 13, 14 in the league right now and maybe six or seven rebounds? I, I think he's explosive enough and athletic enough to definitely you know, contribute right away. It's just about the situation and, and what team he gets drafted to. I think that will affect him um, mm -hmm. in terms of being in the Eastern Conference versus the Western Conference. But based on what I've seen, he's explosive. He can finish around the basket. He's a nightmare in transition. If he can develop a jump shot, even if that's just mid-range consistently knocking that down, uh, he'll, he'll be a force. I always say, people ask me about him. I say he reminds me of a, a more athletic Julius Randle. I don't know how how tall he is. I'm not, I'm not sure how to measure out at the combine, but Julius Randle is a guy who's a strong left-handed player who can push the ball in transition, big body. Um, and he's having a lot of success in the NBA. So I think that's one of the guys I noticed right away just because they're both left-handed and kind of stocky-builded guys. But I think his ceiling is whatever he wants it to be. I think that 13, 15, 20 a game is, is all within reach depending on how he progresses. To me, even though he's not a prototypical like 3-4 guy, it, it doesn't he fit the category of just like a basketball player where you can put him in different spots and he'll find a way to impact the game, even if he's not a traditional you know, three or four because of how he defends, how he rebounds. He's one of the most efficient players in the country, even though he doesn't shoot the ball especially well yet. Well, I mean, his, his PR, his PER is stupid. It's like 50, 53.1. Yeah. Like the average yeah. PER in college is like 15 since they've been keeping the metrics. It would be the highest ever in recorded right? history. Right. Ever. Right. Ever. Since they've been having the mark, uh, you know, done. So, I mean, that that's ridiculous. And, you know, my, are we have researchers sometimes that, you know, we, we follow all these games and it's just, it's challenging to watch every NBA game and every college game every single night. Um, but you know, you have people that are able to dig through the weeds and, and find these different things. And one of our guys, Timbo, who was over at get up in the morning was like, you know, maybe he doesn't have the jump shot like him right now, but he's like, he reminds me of like a better Josh Smith. Like, like what, what you kind of almost maybe wanted Josh Smith to be right. Like I think some people would say that. And I, I found that fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because man, he just if he, he plays with that relentless pursuit, he's gonna get you double digit rebounds, because he just plays hard. So 
I mean, if you get some points in transition and you get to the free throw line, I get you nine, 10 points. I mean, if he ever does develop that jump shot, that's so, yeah. And he does have the, the skill set to do a lot right now between dribble and pass and compete. So I, I think the kid is talented, man. But also last night watching him lose, you know, I, I kind of, I say this too. It's like people keep saying, well, they lost Trey Jones. And I know that Trey is the glue that keeps this whole team together. And obviously they didn't have Cam Reddish, but you still got the potential number one and number two pick yeah. in the NBA draft on the floor. And like, you know, like you got guys like that. I know there's still a ceiling for them to continue to learn how to play, but Syracuse just came off losing to Georgia tech and Georgia tech is at the bottom of the league and they lost to them at home. So you're like, okay, like where is that disconnect? Like, like they need to, even though they almost both had triple doubles last night, like how are you going to continue to improve when you don't have these guys on the floor? With Barrett, like, um, just changing, because he's, I don't know, a lot of people talked about Zion coming into the year, and there there is a sentiment that Barrett is the better pro or has a potential to be the number one pick and this all-star. I look at Barrett like um, he's left-handed, he's he's 6'8". We, we tried to compare him maybe to DeRozan, although he shoots it better, it looks like. Like, when you, when you see a guy like Barrett, are there any – concerns because I have one concern with Barrett and you tell me if I'm off base or naive J or C is that it does seem like he hunts a lot for that for his shot and I don't know if that's a product of growing up in Canada if that's just his style but doesn't he force a lot of shots I think he does but I also think coach K allows him to do so so you know I I I don't know I think it's one of those things that you live with right I think um you know, I, I forced some shots too. I didn't force some shots like that at times, but I did take a lot of bad shots in college. Um, I'm not really worried about his shot count. I, I think being on that team, you know, he needs to make shots on the outside. It seems like Cam Reddish, Trey doesn't really shoot the ball that much. Cam Reddish could shoot the ball more, but you're kind of waiting for him to continue to mature and become more aggressive and be consistent with that aggression. Zion's great in transition. Uh, or attacking the rim, but you can load up against him a little bit. I think when it comes to the half-court offense, he carries a lot more of the weight to make things happen, right, offensively. Um, if there was, you know, it's not a knock. It's just something that's noticeable about him. He doesn't have that next-level athleticism where he can finish over the top. And I see him in college trying to finish through the – sifting through the weeds, you know what I mean? Yeah. Through the gaps, yeah. finishing. Um Whereas like, he's not going to be able to do that. Like, CJ, you know that. Like, you have to have off-balance, unorthodox kind of shots if you're going to be able to – if you're not finishing over the top of people. I, maybe he can, he can develop that, but he doesn't have a lot of lift when he plays. Even when he shoots, like, you know, he doesn't go straight up and down. Like, you don't see his follow-through go high. It goes, like – it's more like on an angle towards his target, which he doesn't get a lot of lift. And I think that's going to be the question for him, if he can find ways to – kind of get around that yeah I agree with you Jay I'm not worried about the shot count either I think from an aggressive standpoint that's his mentality he's an aggressive scorer he's an aggressive attacker he attacks the basket and as you said Zion scores in transition Cam's kind of shy you know he's not as aggressive as the rest of them and I think that Barrett has that alpha mentality in terms of all right we in the half court set I can get by my man. I'm going to try to generate offense for us so <clears throat> I think from a <clears throat> professional standpoint you know looking at how he translates to the NBA. He has the size. Um, he has the strength. The athleticism is coming along and he's still developing because he's only 18 or 19 years old. But it, it will be about that jump shot. As Jay said before, follow through has to be high. He needs to have a floater, some type of in-between shot that's at the rim, but not at the rim, if you know what I mean. I think Jay understands what I'm saying. When you when you get to like three feet, you, you're three feet and in, five feet and in around the basket, you either make a decision to finish at the rim or you get a floater off or off balance shot or, or you stop come to two like Tony Parker does and finish with the floater. So I think those those finishing moves will come as he gets older and as he kind of figures out the length and athleticism that's going to be at the next level. Look, these are all called first-class problems, but uh, they're, they're hella problems for these students to have. <laughs> you know, but they, they have all the talent in the world. So Turning turn the page a little bit away from, away from college and going back to the NBA, we can come back to college in a little bit. Where do you think the state of the NBA is at right now from a social media aspect to national to to global in terms of how the game has continued to grow? I know we're playing games, you know, in other countries now. We're playing games in uh, China and some other some of those other places. 
Uh, how do you think the game has grown, and what do you think can improve upon our game? I think uh, I think basketball is probably the, the hottest footprint in the world, along with soccer right now. I mean, obviously, like I, soccer or football, you know, F U T B O L is a, a beast of its own worldwide. I think you know basketball is probably the, the fastest American sport catching up to that worldwide. Um, it's uh, it, I see from even a TV perspective how, you know, you push that product, how the NBA is always relevant with different issues that are happening socially, you know, going about it differently. Um, there's, um, you know, guys, their faces is, are more avail- available to be associated with issues. And I think, I mean, revenue-wise, the, the league is at one of the best places it's ever been, right? And um, as this market for live TV becomes more and more consolidated. I mean, it could get even more explosive than what it is now, which is crazy to say to me. It's crazy to say to me, like, I wish that, you know, there were deals back then. I mean, if I had played that long, but if there was a chance to have a deal for five years, $230 million, you know what I mean? Like guys are getting five years, 85. And that was a lot of money back then. Like you know, if, if Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or, you know, some of these giants, Apple decides to ever get into the live sporting fees rights, um, think about what that could be down the line as this game is so fast. And, you know, I, I think one of the fascinating things to watch happen is how, you know, there's other additional sources of revenue that you're going to see these leagues go after, you know, if it's, you know, them getting a percentage of, you know, gambling that's going to happen. How are you going to build out in arena gambling experiences for people? Uh, you know, that's going to be part of it, what you do. Um, you know, what's going to happen with CBD uh, as that becomes, you know, legalized in different states? And, you know, is the NBA going to become progressive enough to take a piece of that if they allow or dictate to what degree you can use that as far as, you know, pain management relief? There, there's so many, the growth opportunity for the league is ridiculous. It really is. Uh, we just continue to develop more platforms where we can watch you guys, and it's the hottest ticket there is right now in sports. Yeah, also, um, like, I watched the game. Have you guys done a VR game yet, virtual reality? Because I watched a VR game last week with a device. It was a $150, $200 device, and it was an incredible experience. Has, have you guys done that yet? I haven't. I haven't watched a full game, but I've been able to see like clips in virtual reality, and it looks like you're sitting. It was crazy on the court. It looks like you're there. Did it seem real, CJ? Though did it seem real? It yes. I couldn't believe that I was in my living room. Um, to your point, JJ, about the NBA growing, I wonder like if you had access to this when you were playing, specifically with social media, um, how would it have helped or hurt or hurt you when you were playing as a as a 21 year old in the NBA? <laughs> Uh, I did some stupid stuff in college. I'm happy as hell that uh, I, I, I think I would have I would have adapted to adjust accordingly uh, because I was very cognizant of where I wanted to be. But um, you know now it's I try to tell I try to tell people all the time. You know, and obviously us doing the show, the boardroom, which is so cool, Jordan. What we're doing with that and just kind of talking about business and different things. I think now athletes are starting to become programmed extremely differently from a young age where you start to recognize brand. Like, you know, if you follow overtime or, you know, some of these other entities that follow high school sports, you see kids who are branding themselves with hoop mix videos, with, you know, how they're cutting it with different editors and they're creating that from the time they're like 15, 16. So I think, you know, one of the things that kids just need to understand is that, you know, your business is your life. Like, so, you know, the same way we could be having a conversation with somebody about, you know, the brand of their business. You know, when you do what we do on the media side or professional athlete side, you, your brand is yourself. So, you know, if you put yourself in a predicament, that affects your brand, which affects your bottom line. You can't drive EBITDA anymore. So I think that's been one of the most fascinating things to see that kids are, are talking and acting like that from an earlier stage. So I, I wish I would have gotten on that train because I think a lot of things are going to have to change. I don't know why if you're a high school kid and you have a couple of million followers or close to a million and you can't monetize off that uh, without foregoing your eligibility, which is so silly. Like it's, 
if it's a business, we need to treat it as a business all the way around. Okay, let's take a quick break to talk about Wix. Support for Pull Up with CJ McCollum comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in the click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their websites. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X dot com slash pull up to get 10% off. Okay, back to the show. I think it's so interesting how you could be in college, get drafted to play baseball, take your signing bonus and go back and play another sport. I think that's so crazy how you can do yeah, that. Tyler Murray, exactly. <laughs> Tyler Murray. You can do that, but but you can't monetize your own brand, but you can take money from a professional team and go back and play another sport. Like that is insane to me. And since Kyler Murray has done it, we have to discuss if he's making the right decision or not. Looking at where he potentially could be drafted, could be the number one pick, could be a top 10 pick, for sure, probably a lock for the first round. Is he making the right decision or is he holding the A's hostage and trying to get that guaranteed 15 million before backing out and going to play baseball? I mean, I, I hope it's the latter. Because that would just be amazing when I see athletes pull assassin like moves like that. Like I, I at first off, CJ, I can't just tell you. Just you knowing that makes me so excited because I think culturally things are shifting for athletes right now, where we have to learn how to play this game of business and and thrive in it. And you know, for me, I, I want Kyler to do whatever he wants to do. I, I personally, I don't like being hit. But, you know, I've also I've seen Greeny make the statement on Get Up that, you know, it's it's rare that QBs have, you know, career ending injuries that, you know, other than like Alex Smith that just happened. Right. Um, right. You know, but for me, if, if he's five, eight, like I don't know what kind of O-line you're going to get. If you get drafted, you're probably going to go to a bad team. You get hit the wrong way or, you know, you get hit in a way where you can't be as quick in the pocket or move around anymore. Um, I don't know. Like maybe baseball seems that that route. Plus, it's guaranteed money for baseball rather than you know you get your signing bonus for football. But still, the, I still can't believe that CBA is done that way for them. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's gonna be hard for him not to, as you as you all know, like you have a drive, CJ. I see every time you play, you find something to to get you going. And we all have chips on our shoulders to some degree. And I think for Kyler, that chip of wondering what football could be will probably make him lean in that direction because everybody wants to know what they could be, you know, potentially. Right. I don't know. Well, that was Pat Mahomes. I mean, he could have played baseball. He had incredible talent and decided to play football. And obviously it's worked out. I, for what it's worth, um, I've been told Murray's legitimately 5'8", which is very small. But this is from a high-ranking NFL scout who told me yesterday, I'd hate to have to play against him. One of the best athletes I've seen this year. Impressive arm talent. And I also talked to an executive who said he thought he'd be a second rounder. There's been talk about first rounder. So he would be a really high pick. And if he plays baseball, he'd have a most likely, the stats tell you, a longer career. So why not at least try football for a couple year, for a few years? And if, if it goes terribly, couldn't he go back to baseball if he's not good? I mean, it depends on how he gets hit. Yeah, depending on how he gets hit and if he's healthy. But I think he has six years and he's still under contract because one of our players, Pat, Pat Connaughton, was drafted uh, as well. And I think he said that he had five or six years um, under that he contract could play in the league before right. he could go back to that same team. And then he becomes a free agent after that uh, if you wait past the five or six years. And I'm not sure how the signing bonus works. Like, do you have to give that back? Uh, th- those are questions. No, that you don't. I'm sure he has the answers. You don't to, have to give it back. You get to keep it? You get to keep it. Oh, that's dope. DJ, I'm 6'2". Whenever my ass is around you, like, I have to straighten up my spine. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I get competitive that way. I'm like, all right, like, I see you. Like, you're taller than me. Like, CJ's lanky. I don't lanky. play no more, but, you know, I'm strong. <laughs> I ain't gonna let you just post me up. You know what I mean? I start flexing like that. I don't, I'm just saying what happens internally. Not saying I can beat you in basketball because I cannot. I cannot even compete with you. But, like, if, like, have y'all ever been to a, like, a, on the field for a professional football game? 
Do you see? It's crazy. How big these dudes are. It's crazy when you. That's stupid. It, I ain't trying to be hit like that, man. No, but it's it's not so much the size. The size matters, but it's the sound. The sound of the hits is shocking. There's no. I mean, if I'm Kyler Murray, there's there's no way I'm going to the NFL. I don't care how many years I have to play in the minor leagues. I don't care if I have to play till 2025. There is no way I'm going to the NFL unless I'm the first. Unless I'm guaranteed to be the first pick in the draft. That is the only way I would go because you look at the longevity of baseball, how long you can play. He's going to be in center field, making diving catches, running the first base, chilling out in the outfield for most of the game until the ball gets hit to him. He could play for 20, 25 years. At quarterback, he may be able to play for 20 years. But the type of hits he's going to take, not just because of the O-line, but because he's a runner. Like, he's a threat to run. He has great speed. Could you imagine if he gets out in the open field and he doesn't see someone or he doesn't slide at the proper time? The linebackers are yeah. 230, 240 pounds, and they run four fives. Can you imagine Khalil Mack hitting you, coming out oh. of the pipe at 6'3", 255 pounds? That's a, <laughs> by the way, he's 255 <laughs> pounds at 6'3". What is that? Like that's now, what alien, is that? I, you know, that's like, not normal. That's sometimes. what it is. Like, that's crazy. No, and CJ, I know you see aliens every night. I joke around like every time I'm around KD, just joking around like, yo, what is this, bro? How is he that long? Like, what is that? Like, I don't. There's certain things that are just like can't can't describe. Can I tell you a funny uh, KD story about the length? Yeah, yeah. All right. So I was fortunate enough to have um, a, a post game meal with him and Rich Kleiman from uh, p- Boardroom. He reached across the table, the entire table, to get something. I, I've never – it was – he didn't even have to get up. His arm was so long. It was like Inspector Gadget. I was about to pass it to him, and he reached so far away to get it. It was it was insane. That's how long he is. Yeah. DJ, do, do you still – because you're, you're in the fire, right? I, I think me having time being away from being in the fire – it just makes me appreciative because I never took time to think about it. Like what you're able to do at your size, like at your size, like you're normal, like you're normal, like you're, you're slightly, how, how are you? Six, four, six, three and a half ish, six, four on a good day. <laughs> Without <laughs> I love how you still add the half ish though. Half ish. You got to add that into the equation. Combine says six, two and three eighths barefoot. <laughs> like what you're doing against some of these dudes that you're playing against, like does it ever just hit you? Like, yo, damn, I don't know how I'm out here doing this against these type of dudes. Like it's athletes, man. It's different. I mean, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of, there's a lot of tough nights um, where you, you go into that paint and you're thinking you got a layup and you get your shot blocked. I got a floater block last night in Sacramento. I could have swore I shot it high. I could have swore I shot that floater to the to the rafters and it got blocked and then I went I went for another layup and I was like man these dudes are long I gotta shoot some more jumpers just because of the athleticism and how big those guys are. What do you think about the Aaron Fox? You like him? I like his game. Yeah, he's fat man. He's fast as you talk about game breaker speed man. That dude is that dude is really fast end to end. You know, off the rebound like he's pushing it head down. And he's one of those guys who can go north south fast while changing direction. A lot of a lot of guys with speed don't know how to change direction. Um, I think he's got a pretty good sense of you know how to use that in and out, how to use a quick crossover while he's you know in mid stride, in mid four four forty speed. You know what I'm saying? So I think he's going to be he's going to be good. He's got a bright future uh, for sure. It's I like he, this game. He's such a student of the game. That dude literally studied NBA 2K. Like he studied dudes' tendencies in the game. Which is like, I guess, a new way of doing tape. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I did an interview with him before he got drafted. Uh, I'll actually post it. I'll send it to you. Like, hearing him talk about the game from a PG perspective at the age of, like, 18, 19. Like, I talk to dudes every single year. Like, I was blown away. I felt like I was talking to somebody that understood how the Matrix worked at that stage in the game. Like, and we'll be able to give you scouting reports on different teams. And I'm like, who are you? I mean, that's – he's different. See, did you feel like his pick and roll and his his understanding of of how to run a team? Did you feel like it was way more advanced than somebody who's been in the league a year and a half? I mean, definitely had great pace. You know, f- for a guy with super speed, he had he had really good pace. He threw a couple of lobs. He was able to kind of, you know, you know how you come off the screen and you hold the guy like you know, kind of like Chris Paul does. You keep the guy on your back, yeah, on your hip, on, yeah. on your hip, and you you get the big to commit. You know, he had a couple of those plays where I was like, you know, that's. That's a good move, especially for a guy, you know, who's only in his second season and as a full-time starter, you know, as a second-year player in the league. So, 
Uh, he made some really good plays, drew some fouls, drew some contact in the lane, just figuring out ways to to use his speed to his advantage. And I think that, you know, he's whatever, 2K, whatever he's studying is, is, is helping him for sure. And all of a sudden Sacramento is relevant. What? What's happening in the league? No, not a lot of off days in this league anymore, especially in the Western Conference. No no real easy, uh, easy games. Everybody's competing. Everybody has talent. There's... 10, 11 teams in position to potentially make the playoffs. So it's going to be a a heck of a March in April. But we, we talked about Katie's wingspan, Katie's length. We have a question here that I have to ask. All right. If you're building a team, who do you take? Right now in the current state of the game, I get a chance to build a team. I, I take Giannis. I'm, like, I'm talking about a team for like the next 10 years? Yeah. Like that kind of foresight? Yeah. I, I just – some of the stuff that he's able to do and the threshold. And you know what I love about him, CJ, too? Obviously, like, the physical attributes speak for themselves. Uh, but that my dude, he's just like a – he's a gym rat. Like, I, I love guys that have that that dog in them. Like, even if Coach Bud is locking them out of the, the practice facility because you know, he forces everybody to have these hard stops to kind of recalibrate your body for a day. And my man just goes and rents out high school gyms and works out by himself. I'm saying the jump shot obviously needs work, um, but just the effort that he consistently gives you, I mean, he's a he's a stat filler, man. I just I love watching him play. Who do you go with? Uh, that's tough. Um, I mean, what is Giannis, 23, 24 years old? Giannis is 23. 23. Jeez. Anthony Davis is in that conversation. Yeah, I mean, AD's definitely in the conversation, but – Yes, Anthony Davis in that conversation. You look at the two of those players, like Anthony's pretty much Anthony is who he is, which is a very, very dominant player, all-star caliber player, top five arguably each year. We don't know what Giannis ceiling is. Like if Giannis gets a jump shot, like he's twenty three. Like imagine Giannis at twenty nine. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So when you break it down like that, we're talking about for the next ten years or whatever the case may be. Giannis without a jump shot is twenty six and twelve. Yeah. Right? That's what he's probably averaging, 26 and 12. Yeah. So imagine if Giannis has a three-point shot. Not even a consistent one, but one to where you have to respect it. Yeah. Like low, like 31%, like 30%. Or you have to go out there. Now you're talking about one more three a game. That's like 29 and 12. Even if he hits one three a game, one more. That's 29 and 12. Yeah. Let me give you three bigs who are all very young um, and have you guys rank who you would, especially you, Jay, have you rank who you would build around um, based on the next 10 years? Embiid, Jokic, and, um, oh, Carl Anthony Towns. That's tough. Cats having a hell of a year. Because – Jordan, that's tough. I mean, it depends on – there's so many add-ons to that. Again, I, to provide context, like I, I want to – like it depends upon what kind of personnel I have. <laughs> it's, that, it's that tough. Because all three are different. Yeah, it's, I don't know, man. This is tough. MB, maybe MB, Jokic, and Kat? Yeah, it's, and it's tough because they're, they're all so different. Right. Jokic with the, the passing. Any answer is the wrong answer because they're all so different. Like, we just played against Jokic. Jokic is a different type of big. Yeah. He, he's uh, like a point center. Mm-hmm. He can initiate the offense. He can literally run pick and rolls with the power forward. Like what big man can run pick and rolls with the power forward and make the decision coming off the pick and roll on whether to throw the lob or hit the corner, like as a center. Like that's crazy. Then you got Towns who just had 27 and 27. Like he can shoot threes. He can post up. He demands a double team. And then you got Embiid who's arguably the most unstoppable big man in the league. Like, probably the most unstoppable in terms of versatility and, and scoring, changes the game completely. So basically all three are awesome. That's a tough one, Jordan. It's, it's, it's tough to rank three. I got a question for you, Jay, from Matt. Matt wants to know, which team you'd want to play for right now in the league? What team would I want to play for right now in the league? Um, style, play. We could take the city out. Just, let's go with straight style and play. I kind of I, I, I like watching Brooklyn play. Yeah, because more maybe I'm, I'm from New Jersey. I like I like the Nets. I, I like that kind of scrappiness they play with. Um, Atkins, how he how he coaches them. Uh, I think that's attractive to me. That style. I, I I like to run and gun, man. Like that's how I played in college. Like I, 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 I we laugh about it now because you know in 2002, like my squad, it was me, Battier, Dunleavy. 
you know, Boozer uh, was more of a, he could shoot from the outside a little bit and then do on Like we played that like essentially like four out, one in, five out style where we shot threes and ton of DHOs and we ran that kind of action. So I guess any team that plays with that style or that pace is a team I ride with because I feel like I can shoot and I was athletic and I like to run and get out in transition and kick the ball ahead and, and play that fast tempo small ball. I thought you were going to say the Houston Rockets. Yeah, me too. No, because I feel like I got a little bit more D to me in Houston. You know what I mean? Like, and maybe that's with CP when he comes <laughs> back, he brings that to the table. But I, I kind of get, uh, I like I play, I try to, I play defense when I get angry. And I feel like in today's league, I would get angry every single night because of the greatness from that position. Like, you know, it ain't no off nights. I like the, the guard position, man. It's, it's every night you going against dudes, you know? And, um, I mean, I guess you could say that almost every position, but especially I think at that guard position. Um, so, I mean, I can see Houston. I just don't, that's a little bit too, too helter skelter for me. How about taking a step further, Jay? What about a, if you could pick a coach that you'd want to play for, would it, would it still be Kenny or would you go with somebody like Brad or Quinn, somebody like that? I love Quinn. Um, I love, like, the more I watch him, I love Coach Bud, too. Yeah, he's great. What he's doing with Milwaukee, how he's letting them play. It's, like, that's that's the difference between, you know, who he is and, you know, how they got coached previously, right? Like, he built the team around Giannis's weaknesses and made those strengths to a certain degree. If you want to call that a weakness, it's lack of shooting ability to a certain degree. Um, I love Quinn. I love the way Quinn rises guys. Um, yeah. The Boston scenario is fascinating to me. I, I I love watching Kai play, and they need him on the court. Just you know what's you know they have so many gifted scorers. They have so many guys that can do it. Um, you know, trying to see how that fits, and then you know the nights that where they pass the ball and they get like thirty plus assists, they knock they wipe people out, and then other nights, you know, they have like sixteen assists or fifteen assists, and it just seems like their offense becomes stagnant. Like I, it's such an anomaly, I can't figure that out. It seems like a, a huge issue, and I even see Brad struggling with it. It's fascinating to watch this year. They're up and down, and it's it's kind of been the the way the league has gone. You know, there's been there's been teams that go on runs, teams that win four or five games in a row, and then they drop a game that you don't expect them to drop. And I think that's just how competitive the NBA is right now. Like, you, you go to Brooklyn, you see the Celtics go to Brooklyn, and you think they're going to win, and they drop a game. And you look at Brooklyn and how well they've been playing, you know, winning four or five games in a row. Look at a team like the Phoenix Suns, who have won four or five games in a row at one point and were the hottest team in the NBA. Yep. Uh, it's, it's, it's hit or miss. You never know what's going to happen each night. But one of, the, one of the stories that's been kind of taking over the NBA, we talked about a helped their sculptor brand the basketball. James Harden just broke Kobe's record for most consecutive 30-point games. In three-point era, he had 57 on Monday, 36 in the first half. He's averaging 41 over his last 17 games. Um, you talk about one-on-one players. You played in an era where there was some great one-on-one players, especially in the 2000s. Is James Harden the best one-on-one player ever? His coach has gone on record saying that he's the toughest cover. I think CP has also backed him in terms of offensive versatility. His one-on-one game is unlike anything I've seen in terms of being able to generate offense off the dribble, step backs, get into the hole, trolling fouls. Is he the most creative off the bounce score you've seen? I think he's the most innovative. Like I think he's made like the, the step back is, you know, like a phenom, like the sky hook. I mean, even the, the double step back joint that they don't call on him now because he's patented to move. They don't make so much money off that. Um <laughs> almost like Tiger Woods and how he's going to make money on some of these, these uh, courses that he's going to end up, you know, architecting out. Like it's, um, it's playing against AI. Like I couldn't, there's nothing I could do about AI because AI was still like a buck 75, a buck 80 soaking wet. Like if you hit him, I mean, I was going to the free throw line so many times a game because he was really getting hit, but this dude is built like a running back and I've never seen a gifted scorer who can move the way he can move outside. Like, utilizing the three-point line. Like, when I think about the best scores, obviously you think about, like, MJ and, and Kobe, but the way they operated, Kobe was a good three-point shooter, but they operated more in those confined spaces, right? Like, those pinch posts, those kind of operational triangle. spaces. Even though, triangle. Yeah, the triangle, even though they all make crazy difficult shots. But seeing him and how he utilizes the space 
from the three-point line. Like, it's just – even watching the way Milwaukee tried to guard him, like seeing Bledsoe just literally stand, par- like, stand parallel to the sideline just on his left arm. Like who defends like that? That's the kind of gimmicky stuff that we need to do in order to defend James Harden. Like nobody's going to try to lock him up one-on-one. It's like shade that whole left side of his body and force him to drive and be a two-point scorer or a passer. And that night he still has like 40-plus points, you know? And it's uh, even though they lose that game, it's like for him to do what he did last night without CP3, without Eric Gordon, it's – without Clint Capella, I guess – it's just that's on a different level, man. I'm, yeah, I haven't seen something like that before. How do you guard him, CJ? Like, are you just always chasing him? You're always chasing him all the time, right? Yeah, I mean, you're always chasing him. You're always, you know, trying to keep your hands off because he's able to, you know, draw so many fouls. He's able to, you know, essentially grab your arm, get into your body, get contact. It was. It's tough. It's a tough challenge. You know, even just watching the film on how he scores, he can shoot from from so far out. You know, he's got to step back to where he can be at the three-point line and step back two more feet. He can be two feet off of the three-point line and step back directly to his left side to where it's a it's a lateral step back. And those are the ones that you try to get a contest and you end up fouling them. But he lulls you to sleep with his between cross, between cross, between yeah. cross. And then <laughs> you don't know if he's going to raise. You don't know if he's going to take off. And like you said before, with that running back strength, once he takes off, cut him off if you want to. He's going right into your body and he's getting to the free throw line. See, is there anything with James in? Because I'm looking at the stat. He goes 1 of 17 against Orlando, still finishes with 38. So is there anything <laughs> you just decide to live with? And, and if he does it, fine or or no? I mean, you just try to make it as difficult as possible. I think that's the biggest thing. Make it as difficult as possible. Get good contests on his threes. Try to funnel him to help. And uh, essentially just hope for the best. A guy like that who's averaging 41 over 17 games, you know, that's, that's that's crazy. And for him to go one for 17 from three and still score 38 points, he scored 50 points in a game or 40 points in a game on eight made field goals. You know how hard that is? Yo, I've never, I never thought... I like, and I know CJ, you're crazy competitive. I think we're all crazy competitive. Whenever somebody says you hope for the best, that's that's the line that just says it all right there. It's like we just, you know, let me try to take away your three. Let me force you to be a driver. You still might end up with 42, but we're gonna get the win. Like, and we just have to hope for the best. <laughs> I mean, we played against them. We guarded them as good as as good as anybody's guarded them this season twice. We held them under 30 once, and like, this crazy that we're talking like this. We held them under 30. He had like 28 or 29, um, shot less than 50%. And then we recently played him, and he almost, he had like, I don't know, he had like 36 or 38 or something like that. But he didn't shoot well from the field at all, but it's crazy. Looking at me like he's got 38 and he's not even shooting well. And that's like the kind of impact he has on the game because he, he lives at the free throw line. Like that's like his second home. Does he talk, CJ? Does he like, does he, like, does he like talk to you like when he gets competitive in that, in that zone? Or is he quiet? No, I mean, I, I think he more so talks to himself. Like, he, he, he just he just goes out there and hoops. Unless someone mm. says something to him, like, he's never said anything directly to me. I've never heard him, like, he just be out there hooping. Like, you'll see him yelling in the highlights and stuff, but he's more so yelling to the crowd or just talking to himself. Like, I've never, I mean, maybe he talks to other people, but he's never said anything to me, and I've never been out there and just heard him talking crazy. Like, he just, he just goes and gets his 40 and goes home. He's a Picasso dribbler, man. I'll tell you that. Like he, every time I see him dribble, I'm like, oh, he's painting that Picasso again. <laughs> Here he goes. You're done. Nothing you can do with it. Those brush strokes, okay. man. I'm telling you, never seen art like that before. Okay, we have more pull up in a second. But first, I want to talk about Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. Simple and intuitive, Robinhood features clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. Place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. Also, there are no commission fees. Other brokerages can charge up to $10 for every trade. But with Robinhood, you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks and track your favorite companies with a personalized news feed where you will receive custom notifications for, for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. 
Now for the best part. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at pullup.robinhood.com. That's pullup.robinhood.com. All right, let's get back to pull-up. CJ, um, this is for you and Jay. Best trash talker you ever played against? You're going to say KG, right, Jay? For me? Oh, no, hell no. It was Gary. I had Gary, man. I got... I got oh, I got, GP. Shoot, I forgot. I got the old OG GP. Like, the GP that couldn't move as fast no more, but was still talking like he could move really fast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yo, and I, I was called Uncle OG, man. Like, there's, there, there's nobody... My man, when I, I played USA basketball, I was going into my... Um, going into my rookie year and I was on this team with like Reggie Miller, GP, um, BD, Baron Davis, Andre Miller, uh, Paul. We had all these dudes and I've never heard somebody like from the time practice started, he must've said everything to me in the book. Like, like we just, we just, it's like a practice, right? Like, I mean, but he's just like talking to me while we're warming up. Like everybody, I'm like, yo, we're not even competing against each other right now. We're just, this is like practice. Like we're just running through plays. Like, why are you talking shit to me? I don't understand, bro. Like, and it was all the setup for when we actually had to go scrimmage. And then even when he wasn't talking trash to me, he was still talking to me about like, yo, what's your mom's name, man? Like, what's your family about? I'm like, yo, just shut up. Like, just stop talking to me, period. Bro. You just talk too much all the time. And next thing I know, I was so pissed off at myself. He just ran me in circles psychologically, man. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. <laughs> I've heard some legendary stories about GP's trash talk, too. So that doesn't even surprise me. And he probably was chewing gum on the side of his mouth the whole time. Oh, just with that. He's just smacking his lips, CJ. You know what I mean? Yep, smacking his lips, talking crazy at the side of his mouth. I mean, I got the CKG towards the end, of, towards the latter part of his career. And a lot of times he'd be in a suit just talking crazy from the side. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen some of the videos that I gotten out there. Uh, but I would say the OG, I didn't play that that much early on in my career, but just being able to see how he approached the game and his demeanor, and man, he could talk. He was a talker for sure. I'm trying to think of somebody else that that talked a lot. Is, is Draymond is Draymond probably like the the biggest trash talker in the league right now? That's safe. Man, say? Draymond be talking. Draymond talks. Talks crazy, but a lot of times he's screaming at like the bench. If you let him shoot threes, he's screaming at the opposing bench or the coaching staff, like "Let me shoot, let me shoot," you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Jalen Rose used to say this line. I used to, I used to love the trash talking. He used to say, you know, like when a guy like Draymond's open, like Jay Rose, be like, "Oh, like if we're opposing team talking to you, like don't worry, leave him open. He's with us. Yeah. He's on our squad." Yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> Something like that. I feel like people will be messing with Draymond so much. Yeah, we we always say that he's with us, or or right when he catch the ball, you'd be like, hell no! Like you like you, you hear the mic catch it. Like somebody that can't shoot, <laughs> somebody that can't shoot catches the ball, and you, it's your rotation. You don't even rotate. You just look and say, hell no, rebound, hell no. <laughs> like, no. Like that's what we want. So like we'll say that like if if Draymond is the rotation and we let him shoot. We'll be like, that's what we want. And he'll make it and he'll be like, that's what we want. That's what we bleep, bleep and want. Let that's what shoot. we bleep and want. Let me shoot. Uh, <laughs> so just stuff like that. That, that makes me that no, makes me And mad. I know from somebody going through struggles, man, and all shooters go through slumps. Yo, there ain't nothing worse than when cats start talking to you and you just can't make shots. Like there's nothing like when you just you can't find that rhythm and you just can't make a shot there's nothing worse than having that feeling like it's the it's the loneliest feeling on the planet man especially if you know you can make it and then you just keep, can't do it like you really ride it for the other squad yeah it's a it's a tough feeling and you can see like the kind of look on on certain guys faces cuz you know like it's a helpless feeling you know there's nothing they can do about it they've been putting their time and they've been putting their work in and and it's just not their time it's not their time for the shots to fall and you can kind of see the the look of ah man. What about Russ? Like they need me. He seems like he's very vocal. Uh, I mean, he Russ be cussing at himself. Like a lot of times, if you're watching the game, you'll be thinking that a player is talking to the opposing team. A lot of times, he's talking to himself. He's yelling at himself or just yelling like out loud. The only thing he does that's demonstrative is he rocks the baby. Like if he posts up and scores, he'll rock the baby. That's it. That's the only thing that he does to where he just rocked the baby. Like. I got a baby on me or put the baby to sleep or whatever he calls it. But 
a lot of these guys is more so like Jake, Jake in a test. You, you're trying to get yourself going. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your fifth game in eight days. You're, you're exhausted. Mentally, you, you're trying to psych yourself up. Like, all right, let's, let's go hoop. And you're just trying to talk to yourself to get yourself going. Think about like working a nine to five. Every day, you know, some days you got bad days. You got bad days, you got good days. Some days you wake up, you're fatigued, you're mentally exhausted. It's the same thing for basketball. You love this game to death. This is your everything. This is how you provide for your family. This is what you practice for. This is what you devote your life to in terms of preparation, eating right, sleeping right, sacrificing so much. And some days you wake up and your body's looking at you like, man, you ain't got it today, but you got to psych yourself out, make yourself feel like you do have it. Mm-hmm. But however you need to get yourself locked into the game mentally and psychologically. But I will say this, though, man. It's really nice to have those massage tables oh, y'all got. There it is. Um, uh, <laughs> I miss those days. Yeah, I miss those days. I, I I get done running at the YMCA. I be giving dudes buckets. I be like, yep, just drop 50 today. Yo, can I get that Dixie cup of ice for my knee, though? Can I get that Dixie cup? Like, the, the game just changes, man. No? The game changes. It's real out here in these streets, these YMCA leagues, man. It's crazy, man. <laughs> it, that is true. But, you know, taking care of your body, self-care is the best care, man. You got to get your massages, those mani pedis. You got to make sure that you, you stay in sharp and taking care of yourself. Because, as I say, it goes, if you don't Wait, take care on. of yourself, no one will. Jay, I thought we were talking about this before the segment, but I just want to confirm. They did have masseuses when you were playing? Yes, man. They did have me. <laughs> Why do you make me feel like I'm Moses, man? <laughs> I know I'm the old guy. Damn. He said that they have masseuses when you play. Uh, come on, man. I'm not Old Testament. No, at least give me New Testament. They had they had, uh, they had a, a masseuse. <laughs> All right, that's good. Testament. I just wanted to make sure. We did. You know, I, I, I'll tell you a quick masseuse story. So I, I just need it. I need it after one of the best, one of the best experience that I've ever had in my life. And it's like, you know, sometimes you get a chance to go against greatness where you just I know for me I I had to take a second you know even for a millisecond during the game just to appreciate it because I I become so competitive I just want to compete in that moment but you know being on the court playing against the Washington Wizards when Jordan came back for one of his final years and, and watching that dude get a standing ovation it's like a good five six minutes on his introduction it's probably one of the coolest moments of my life. You know, it was it was weird being a bull and, you know, being in a city that had a statue of this guy and, you know, being on the opposite end of the spectrum about, you know, how are we finding ways to even get to the playoffs where this dude has won, you know, so many championships and been considered one of the greatest ever. And him being like 40 years old and me like, you know, switching on him because Jalen Rose didn't want to defend him and, this dude telling me two times in a row, I don't know if this ever happened to you, CJ. This dude at 40 told me multiple times how he was going to score on me and actually like got me on both plays. And I never, I never had somebody psychologically shrink me to the point that they made me so small that it made me question myself. You know what I mean? Like he had me on the left pinch post and he said, here it comes over the right shoulder. Now you hear that. Like, how many people are actually going to shoot it over their right shoulder, right? And I'm like, all right, whatever. And he turns over his right shoulder and shoots it, and it goes in. And you're like, the whole time I'm bringing the ball down the court, I'm like, this dude just after and told me that he was going to go over the right shoulder and shoot a shot. And then he just actually went over the right shoulder and made the shot. Like, all right, cool. Like, we're playing that kind of game? Okay, cool. So then, like, you know, we come down, we have an empty possession, and he has me on the same block, and he says, here comes a head fake over the right shoulder now. Would you believe him, CJ, or would you not believe him? <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's hard to just take somebody's word for it because if you do, if you do believe him, they can always counter you. So you kind of just got to play him honest. That's a, so I, I try to play honest, but like he hit me with almost the same exact move that the fadeaway over the right shoulder was to begin with. And yo, I literally jumped and he cracked into me and he goes to the free throw line. And I'm just like, this dude is playing me right now. Like I am, a, I am a, Mentally, I'm I'm so tiny. Like I've never had somebody. Have you ever had somebody talk to you? Like, did Kobe ever do that to you, or did you know some of the guys you've ever played against? Like, have they ever talked to you and told you what they were gonna do? Uh, Kobe, Kobe talked, but it was more so like he can't guard me, or like why why would y'all put him on me? You know, type of situation. But 
you know, when Kobe was really killing, like I wasn't playing. So I was just watching him kill us. You know, from, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm on the bench watching him shoot fadeaways and watching him chew on his jersey. And I'm like, man, this this dude is still real. Like this is this is like late into Kobe's career, still getting, you know, 25, 26 at night. And you're like, wow, how is he doing this? But as the times progress, I mean, you see guys, one of the things Chris Paul does is at the top of the key, He'll be dribbling, you know, kind of bouncing back and forth, like consecutive crossover, right to left, to right, to left, to right, to left. And you know a screen's coming, but you don't know where it's coming to. So he'll point and be like, yeah, set it right here, set it right here. And as soon as you look or like think the screen is coming, he'll step back the other way and shoot a three and start laughing. Mm. Wow. (laughs) And it'll be no screen. (laughs) So you'll be thinking that like, all right, screen's coming because, you know, like, like a mid-pick and roll got to be coming. And they'll be like, all right, set it right there, set it right there. Yeah, flip it, flip it, flip it. And you're like, oh, damn, like, which side is he setting it on? And like, where's my big man? Why ain't my big man calling the screen out? <laughs> and as you think about that stuff, he sidestep raising up and laughing. <laughs> yeah, no screen. You by yourself on the island. So, I mean, I've seen that type of stuff to where that's one of the things that you got to add. Like, you, you see that and you're like, okay, so now, like, I know what it feels like to be on the island and think a screen's coming. So now I'm up there and I'm like, yeah, set it right there. Set it. Mm-hmm. And then you just take off or you sidestep and let it and let it go. So you just kind of steal some of the little traits and tricks that, you know, some of these guys have. Because everybody's got something that you can add to, to your game and kind of take your game to another level or just maybe make yourself more efficient. Yeah, I went against White Chocolate for like three possessions in a row and they kept running this 1-4 flat set. And I kept finding myself on an island at the top of the key looking over my left shoulder, looking over my right, like saying, hey, sag in, help. And I recognized that day, I was like, yo, I'm, <laughs> I'm not the real Jason Williams, bro. I'm not him. I'm not him. This dude <laughs> right here was out there. Ooh. Had me on a string. I was like, all right, I need to get back in the gym and keep working. Keep working. All right, that's cool. That's all right. No, it's all about, it's all about that process. And I don't think we, we asked you about your, your relationship with Coach K and, and and if you guys are still in constant communication in terms of players, if he's asking you about certain recruits, I know you guys may get somebody from the Jersey area or somebody from the area you grew up in. Um, how is that dialogue? How is that relationship? Uh, I know I still talk to my college coaches, especially about recruits or if they need me to talk to someone who who just wants to know what it's like to play in the league because I'm the only one that's made it from Lehigh. But for the Duke Brotherhood, everybody makes it to the league, essentially. You know, the, the three, three, two, three guys going a year from the league from Duke. Yeah, you know, Kay is incredible. He is, uh, he was my coach on the court. And I think he's been my, my coach in life when I needed a coach the most. Um, you know, we, we've had challenging times, you know, um, you know, everybody does and you understand it. You know, one of the things that was, you know, interesting over the last couple of years, uh, just, you know, how everything happened with Grace now and how the media, you know, went after him and, you know, I, I, I get how the brotherhood works and I, I love it. I was a, I was a part of it. I still am a part of it. Um, and seeing how they can, you know, insulate themselves to, to take care of their own, like what you have to do, right? Cause it's, it's you and your band of brothers. And at the end of the day, it's always been weird for me because we, we talk about kids in college, like they're, they're still kids. Uh, but then we can have some of those same kids, you know, playing the NBA and we're allowed to talk about them like adults. You know, and um, it's um, it, it, it it was challenging all the way around. So I, I think, like anybody, there were lessons that I, I learned as a player through my three years there, and I came out drastically a, a different person by the time I was a junior when I left. But then going through my accident and you know renting a house next door to him and living in North Carolina for you know, two and a half years doing therapy every day and, and seeing him and talking to him. I think I recognized that it was about uh, a game way bigger than the one that he was, I thought he was teaching me. I thought he was teaching me about, about ball, but I think in uh, so many ways he was teaching me about life. And I think that's where we lose sight with a lot of these coaches. Um, and, you know, I, I understand there's a lot of relationships out there and, Look, I just went through a situation where I coached a young high school, high school basketball team that series I did with LeBron, and I coached him for four and a half months. And you want to stay close to everybody, but it, it's hard realistically in life to help everyone, especially when you have a wife and your family and your job. And, you know, you have to kind of, it's an unfortunate word to say, but like prioritize how much time you can really allocate for people, you know, for everybody. And 
seeing the way he's been able to give back his time for little things. And he may not agree with you, but he'll tell you why. He's always kind of stood his ground. I, I just have so much appreciation for him in, in that regard. Yeah, he's a Hall of Fame coach in the game of basketball. But more importantly, man, he's, he's really molded you know, me in combination with the foundations I got from my family for who I am as a, as a man in my life. So um, it's cool, man. It's cool to watch evolve and continue to build over time. Uh, Jay, what was the hardest um, or most challenging point for you and Kay uh, during your, your tenure at Duke? Like, did you ever come to, to a point where you really felt like you, you just you, you couldn't handle it anymore? I had, I had a breakdown my junior year. Um, we lost to UVA. And, um, you know, I, 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 w- I was – Charlottesville was a hard place to play. And, you know, I had these games sometimes where I almost had a triple-double and uh, one of those metrics would be turnovers. I became so turnover prone at times because I was always attacking. Yeah. And uh, he, he um, drew up a play for me to take one of the final shots, and I, I deferred and I passed the ball to Dunleavy. And afterwards in the locker room, it's, um, you know, team was like me, myself, Dunleavy, Batty, Boozer, and Duon. And, um, you know, he was saying never had, I ever had a player that just disregarded what I said. And, you know, you think about, going to the NBA and where you're going to be and you're not, you know, kind of like saying I wasn't fully mentally with the team. And I was, I just, I think I just had a really bad game, but he, he does stuff like that to challenge you and to see how you handle that challenge. And I had a, I had a Will Ferrell moment at old school. Do you remember when he was on the podium and he just answered that question and then he (laughs) came out of it and he's like, what the hell happened? Like I just got up and I started hitting my fist. And I just started saying stuff back, not knowing what I said. And then when I got done, I kind of looked around and everybody was looking at me with their mouths open. I was like, oh, shit, what did I just say? And um, <laughs> it was the, the next four or five days were probably the most awkward days of my life. I, I, I was on the blue squad. I didn't start. He didn't really talk to me. Um, it was like psychological warfare. And I, I should never have spoken back that way. But also, like, I, I felt adamant against the way he felt. But it was still like it was a lesson for me to learn. Okay. Like this is how I need to be better, you know, and I shouldn't have disregarded him. I should have listened to what he had to say. Cause he probably knows what the hell he's doing. It happens to us all CJ. It happens to us all. No, it does. No, it does for sure. And uh, I think, um, I think I'm out of questions. My last, <clears throat> my last question is we always talk about things we do uh, to overcome adversity, to overcome anxiety, the pressure, that we face as athletes, not only athletes, but just people you know, in this in this world. And I think that one of the questions I always ask the guest is, you know, from an overall health and well-being standpoint, what type of things do you do when you're stressed out or when you're going through anxiety, when you're going through uh, bouts of depression? Because we all go through it at some point or another. Do you do hot yoga? Do you meditate? You know, what are some of the the measures you take to kind of center yourself when, when things are, aren't going the way you want them to? I've kind of adapted to this uh, reverse therapy um, process for me. I I think one of the best things I ever did was writing my book. Now, the feelings I have now as a 37-year-old man are drastically different than the feelings I had, you know, three and a half, four years ago when I wrote the book. I'm a different person. Um, But I think it was the first time that I forced myself to pay attention to how I moved and who I was in those moments when I moved the way I did. And I think writing it down and forcing myself to reflect upon it and to think about, you know, what, what incubated that feeling or harnessed that frustration or that depression, or I associated so much of myself with what I did. Um, it was uh, one of the most cathartic experiences of my life. And it, it's allowed me to recognize that I, I am not perfect, man. Like, I try to watch as much fall as I can. I try to you know, look at who people are psychologically and understand maybe why they do the things that they do. And you know, there are a lot of times you could be wrong. And I'm okay with being wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. And I think the more that I admit to myself, and sometimes I talk openly about this kind of stuff, it's because I feel like it helps me evolve and it helps me continue to grow into a better person. I think too many times in our world, uh, people just suppress their anger or frustration 
And if you, if you don't provide yourself with an outlet, you never allow yourself the opportunity to work through those emotions, right? And I think through is the most important word because in order to be good at anything, you have to work through things. You have to work through having a shooting slump or work through an injury. And I think through also is another word that provides perspective because if you're working through something, that means you've been fortunate to have the opportunity to work through something. You are still here to do so. And for me, after almost dying, I'm like, okay, like, cool. Like, I'm still here. Like, as long as I'm here, I have a chance to be better and a chance to, to work on me. So I don't think I ever want to take for granted that time again. That's, that's wonderful. That's what my advice would be. I read somewhere, Jay, that you said, I'm going to quote you, I hope people remind me of my accident every day of my life because that means I'm a prime example of somebody who had it and lost everything and may not have gotten it back in the same capacity but still reinvented myself. Do you still feel that way now? Um, I think I felt that way back then that I was in the process of doing that. I, th- I think now that um, being reminded of my accident is still good. Uh, first off, my leg reminds me of my accident every single day regardless of whether people do. I mean, I have, I have arthritic pain. I'll have it for the rest of my life. Uh, I have to deal with it. And it's imminent that I'll probably need a knee replacement uh, pretty soon. So I have that to remind me. But also I, I think all those experiences led me to exactly where I was supposed to be. You know, I think um, when you allow your experiences to mold you and, um, you know, shape out your perspective, uh, it's a pretty amazing thing. And um, I also meet a lot of people who are so limited experience wise that for me, like it just allows me to empathize with people in ways I never, I never thought about because I spent time thinking about it. So I, I think, yeah, reinvention is important. I think we all need to reinvent ourselves uh, throughout the course of our lifespan multiple times. Uh, but I think I look at it drastically differently now too. No, that's that's true. I think that I think that you hit it right on the head, and I I appreciate you uh, sharing sharing some of those uh, stories, personal stories, uh, testaments from from the Duke days. Yeah, man. Uh, those are those are great stories that a lot of people aren't aware of, especially, you know, the Will Ferrell stuff, you moving across the street from Coach K, that's stuff I, I didn't know about. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that and, and spending so much time with us. I know you're a busy man. And uh, once again, congrats on the newest addition to the family. Uh, I know I know that's uh, that's got to be, you know, a great feeling of being a father. So congratulations. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Jordan, thank you for the time, man, and, and CJ. Oh, thank you, man. You're, you're, you're a good man and uh, – can't, can't wait for the boardroom as well, which we know CJ is on. Yeah, it's going to be great, man. <laughs> yeah, CJ, continue to, uh, continue to set a high standard. I, I think who you are and what you represent as it relates to not only the game, but to just a, you know, a young man who is doing things the right way and uh, continuing to grow in front of people. Um, you know, I commend you on that, man. It's, uh, it's really cool to see what you've been able to achieve in such a short time and i know it's just the the start for where you're going to be down the line so congrats on what you've been able to do brother i appreciate you man i appreciate that and i'll be in touch too man i'll definitely be reaching out all right guys thanks for the time man okay jay once again we want to thank our special guest jay will for coming on man appreciate you sharing some of those great stories and insights into uh, not only your your development you know throughout high school and college but to now you know as a 37 year old adult so we truly appreciate it uh Got some great content and hope all the listeners out there are happy with uh, what we've been able to produce thus far. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, radio.com backslash pull up with CJ or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up, pull up.